Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Welcome to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and this is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. My guest today on the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast is Quentin Robinson, better known as Q. He's been on tour with people such as People Bryson, Avery Sunshine, Anthony David, Bobby Brown, and he's going to be going out on tour with my show, Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. I'm honored to have him as a guest on my podcast. He has a lot of great things to share with you today. And without further ado, we're going to get right into the conversation. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. This is Clayton Craddock, and I'm here with Quentin Robinson, fantastic drummer. I've known him, I don't know, for about a year and a half, two years? Two years. Yeah, well, it's it seems like it's been a long, longer time than that, because I've had a Many, many great conversations with him. I've seen him play. He's amazing, and I'm glad to have him on my podcast. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Quentin Robinson. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Glad you're with me. I have so many questions to ask in such a short period of time, and I want to get right to it. First of all, how did you get involved in playing drums? What was the thing that made you say, you know what, I want to play drums for a living? Um, that's, a, that's a very... Uh... It's an interesting question. Um, I didn't pick playing drums. I kind of feel like drums picked me. I've been playing drums since I was three years old. Really? Um, yeah. Um, my mother tells a story. You know, I grew up in church, you know, watching my uncles play drums, not professionally, but just in a storefront church. And uh, my uncle was late one night. And um, my mother said I crawled out of my grandmother's lap, went, sat behind a drum set, and I started playing. And she basically said church stopped for maybe about like five minutes because they didn't realize what was going on. And, you know, the rest is history. From there, um, I was the drummer at the church and my uncle switched uh, to guitar. And that was that. Um, I didn't start getting serious about drums. Maybe until my junior or senior year in high school. Um, when I started looking at what I wanted to do after graduation and um, I got offered, offered a scholarship to go to University of Miami and I took it. Where'd you grow up, by the way? Miami. Uh, born and raised in Miami, Florida. What part? Uh, most of uh, my formative years were in Miami Shores, which is right down the street from Barry University. It, at one point, it used to be called um, Unincorporated Day. But um, it's right between um, Liberty City and North Miami Beach. Okay. Um, maybe about 20 minutes from the beach, uh, maybe about 30 minutes north of Broward. So um, just kind of like right in the middle, maybe uh, 15 minutes away from downtown. You still have a lot of family down there? All of my family is down there. Oh, wow. Everybody's still down there. I am the only one that decided to move away and go to Atlanta. 
So no. you you graduated high school and you went to where again? University of Miami. And you studied drums there. I yes. Uh, well, eventually, <laughs> uh, my my uh, initial major going in was music therapy. But in order to keep my scholarship, you know, I had to be a part of some different performing ensembles. But then I got an opportunity to go on tour. So I took a year off, went on tour. And when I came back, music therapy was the furthest thing away from my mind. I wanted to play drums all of the time. And I switched my major to music performance. No, wait, what's music therapy? Oh, wow, man. So there are two different sides of it. There's the therapy part where music is healing. So, you know, uh, you use uh, music therapy for um, mentally challenged individuals or older people, like anything drum circle type is a type of therapy. Um, you'll also have um, a commercial side of music therapy. Um, if you ever go into a uh, department store and the, the tint of the light is different or the walls are a particular color, the music is playing at a certain decibel level, it is all to appeal to the senses to you know buy something that's on sale or spend money. Um, even when you go into your schools or your jail cells, um, your penitentiaries, the colors on the wall are all a part of music therapy. Um, you typically would see pastel colors on those walls because those emit um, cooler vibes and um, it soothes the soul as opposed to uh, colors like black, red, and green, which kind of um, makes people Wait, aggressive. What's wrong with red, black, and green, man? Hey, man, <laughs> I didn't make the rules, man. Red, I, uh, anyway. Red, black. <laughs> <laughs> so you finally picked up on that. You know, oh, my man. God. <laughs> it's going to be that type of podcast. All right. <laughs> Rack them up and let's play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you came back from the tour. Who'd you go on tour with? Oh, man. Uh, so I went to uh, this guy named Barry Ivan White. Barry Ivan White uh, played. Um, he sang with the Platters for 20 mm. years. And I got a chance to do a European tour with him. And uh, when I came back, I didn't want to do anything else, you know. So I, what? So what school was it again? University of Miami. The okay. Hurricanes, man. Look, you can't. <laughs> okay. So and when I was there, we were winning a lot of football games. So the the University of Miami is the the they have the U the U. That's the Col- U, baby. Okay. Uh oh. How you know the nickname and not the school name? <laughs> There's there's University of Florida. That's the Gators, right? No, we don't we don't talk about those waterfish. We definitely <laughs> don't talk about those those Indians and Seminoles. No. Oh dang. No, no. That's Florida State. No, that's Florida the State. Oh, okay. Right. No. Damn. Mm-mm. Did you play in the, in the marching band at all in high school? I did. I did. What What'd you play? Snare. I was right. a snare. I was captain. Well, Say it again. Were you the captain? I was the drum section leader for a year or two. Okay. Uh, you know, they wouldn't let freshmen be, underclassmen be section leaders. So, you know, you had to just kind of go up through the ranks. Um, but coming from a traditional a traditional high school marching band, um, you had your fresh, freshman chair or your freshman section leader. So um, we ran maybe about 16 snares deep. So, um, oh, yeah. That's we, amazing. Uh, yeah, we were our the school I went to, I went to a couple of high schools, but the school where I was 
really into marching band was Miami Northwestern. And it was a feeder basically into Florida a and University. So uh, uh. a lot of the FAMU kids would come back. Um, we had a lot of influence um, from FAMU. So they had a big line. So we had a big line. And, you know, we uh, patterned ourselves out of them. Um, but when I got to college, I marched, but it was a different thing. It was core style. Mm-hmm. So I had to, I literally spent a year on symbols um, because I had to, yeah. And it was the, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in marching band. Really? Those symbols are 24 inches. Ooh. You got to sit up there, you got to flip them and you got to turn them and you got to hold your hands up. And it's a lot. So your upper body strength, your shoulders shaking and you're doing that. Um, but the reason why I couldn't play snare is because although I knew all of my rudiments and I could read, um, it was just a different style of playing where in traditional or sure band, you went to Howard, so I'm pretty sure you get it. Um, everything was about the show. Um, mm-hmm. Core or drum, um, drum line, drum core is more about precision. So not pulling focus, you know, even if you moved your elbow out a little bit while you're doing a double stroke roll, you'll get called on that. So it was more about precision as opposed to the actual show of it all. So so you went out on tour with Barry White. Barry Ivan. <laughs> I know, White. I know. I was just joking. <laughs> with and you came back and you're like, you know what? This is all I want to do now. Mm-hmm. And. Did that mean you left college or what did you do after that? Oh, I went, I went, I just started taking my applied percussion um, classes a bit more serious. Um, you know, being growing up so young, playing drums all your life, being the best drummer everywhere you go, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, you tend to get this, um, the sense of self-entitlement and, you know, you think you're the... Well, it's a couple of things. You're a teenager and then you're good at something. So, you know, you put those two things together, you get a really inflated ego. And um, I kind of felt there was a waste of time. It's like, these guys can't teach me anything. I wasn't listening. <clears throat> I was doing enough just to get the grade. And um, when I came back, um, I ran into just some amazing um, instructors and they challenged me. They challenged me. And that was the biggest thing. I had never been challenged before. Not to mention my other peers that were there. Um, like I went to school with Ludwig Alphonse, who used to play with Spyro Gyra. He's back down in Miami now, but he used to be in New York for a while, play with um, Spyro Gyra, play with Eldar, you know. So we were literally kind of like frenemies, you know. We were always paired together. If we had to do a performance, it was Q and Ludwig, Ludwig and Q. Um, so, um, he pushed me a lot and, um, my, my teachers challenged me, um, because they wouldn't allow me to do things that I was good at. They, yeah, they like, oh no, we're not playing that today. You know, pull out, pull out this, these jazz charts, you know, let's, uh, let's talk about, um, some fusion. Let's, I know you're not a plan for let's play in seven today. So. So you, you, you finished at the University of Florida, I mean, Miami. 
Like, I'm sorry. I'm just joking with you. I know. I know. Don't do that, man. You, 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 to you, are you gonna you gonna hit the end button on this now? Like, hey, man. Listen. <laughs> this is where I draw the line. <laughs> where I draw the line. Uh, I have friends to go to Florida. I grew up as a University of Miami fan. Um, you know, like anybody, whatever your dad is into, that's what you're into. And my dad was a huge University of Miami fan. And um, when I went to school there, you know, um, from a fan perspective, I enjoyed it simply because we were winning championships the years I was there. So, oh, really? Wow. But yeah, I graduated in 03. Um, but from, I want to say from 99 to 2003, we were in national championship contention every year. Wow. Yeah. That's great, man. It must have been a great time. And being in the, uh, the band and being around all those people. I mean, I, I always wonder what it was like going to a, a big, big school like that. It's not yeah. a big school, though. Really? I mean, private the, the, institution. Really? It's a private institution. Okay. Um, it's not, not a state school. Uh, enrollment when I was there was maybe about 20,000 kids. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was a private institution. But because the athletic program... Per, specifically the football team was so great you know you know they just had a lot of um a lot of notoriety and a lot of money because they were on television primetime games like every week at that time right so you got out in 03 what did you do right after that uh what did i do oh i got married um that didn't work so we're gonna leave that there um but I, I continued to kind of build my career. Um, I was playing at this uh, church, uh, and um, they paid pretty well. So, you know, I had a kind of built-in every two-week gig. And um, I kind of felt like I wanted to do more. So then I got into education. Um, started off as um, assistant band director at a school in Miami, Michael Crop Senior High. Uh, I did that for a couple of years and then, um, because having black men in the school system where they were so scarce, um, my principal said, oh, you have a degree. Why don't you're here every day anyway? Why don't I just pay you as a substitute teacher? You show up here every day. And when you need to miss, you can still miss. You just won't get paid for those days. So I did that. Um. And I followed her to the next school she went to. And unfortunately, one of her teachers, a math teacher, um, fell down, broke her hip. And then I was in that classroom. Math has always been one of those subjects that stuck with me. So um, I started teaching in the class and they took a practice uh, state test. And those students did very well on the test. And she made me, she made me take the math teacher certification test. Oh, wow. Took the certification test and then I became a math teacher. So I taught math. Then she switched schools again. And I went with her simply because anytime I needed to miss for music, I could. Okay. Uh, so then I taught high school math from 06 to 09. And that was the end of education for me. And why is that? You went on tour? Oh, what, what uh, no. So uh, she was pushing me to become a uh, assistant principal. 
Mm-hmm. And you need it five year prerequisite to become assistant principal is that you need five years in the classroom. And um, I was coming up on that fifth year and she was having me um, make bell schedules and, you know, handle different things for the school, go and represent the school at different functions. And I kind of felt and at the same time, while I was doing that, my music career started taking off. I started playing with more artists, started getting calls for more um, sessions. So those things started overshadowing the teaching thing. And I, I was like, well, you know what? If I stay on this path, in three years, I'll be an assist, I'll be a principal and I'll be super miserable. So I decided to step out on faith and just do music full time. That's great. And it's been the best decision that I've ever made. There's been some highs and lows, but um, I wouldn't, um, if I had to do it all over again, I would make the same decision. So you left education mm-hmm. and you decided to just play full time. Yes. It, did you um, move to Atlanta after that? Were you teaching in Florida? Um, after I stopped teaching in 09, um, I moved to Atlanta in two, 2010. Uh, I had the opportunity. I had a friend of mine who is a really big time producer and he connected me with some um some management people for um, a very um, well-known recording artist. And I put put a show together for her, um, came up to Atlanta and presented it to her. And they were, they were ecstatic. Like the management was ecstatic. We were gonna, I was gonna be her music director. And, you know, that was gonna be the beginning. And I don't know, maybe six months after that meeting, she fired the entire management team. And every decision that came with that management team actually went out the window. Um, but I think for me, if it wasn't for that meeting and to know that was almost kind of like a confidence thing, like, hey, Q, you know what? You can do this at a high level. You just got to go to where the work is. And Atlanta was the biggest, in closest industry city that I could get to. Um, New York just seemed daunting and LA was just so far away. Um, So I settled on Atlanta and I moved up here. I was like, well, that didn't work out, but you know, I think I have, I have the wherewithal to kind of make it. And I moved up here and, you know, just started trying to build my career from there. So who was the first act that you'd say, kind of broke you into and moved you up to another level. I know you played with a bunch of different people, but was there one artist that you said, okay, now I think I I've quote unquote made it. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, right. a perpetual, a perpetual chase. Right. Um, I won't say that it was a particular artist. Um, but what I will say is that when the level of respect I started to, my name started to get in the industry, particularly in Atlanta. Um, when those things started changing, it didn't necessarily make me feel like I made it, but I knew I was on the right track. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily having to um, jump through hoops to get decisions made. Um, if I said yes, it was done. Um, people working around my schedule because, you know, as musicians, you know, it's almost kind of like one of those take it or leave it things like, Hey, can you do this? No, 
I can't, I'm busy. Oh, well, anyway, I'll find someone else. But when people are like, okay, well, when can you make it? You know, well, so that's when I started saying, okay, well, I'm doing something right. Um, I don't think I'll ever say I made it um, because, you know, um, excellence is not necessarily a destination. I believe it is a, a lifestyle. And the minute you stop climbing is kind of when you start declining. So um, I don't think I'll ever get to the point where I say I made it, but I do believe I'm on the right track. What were some of the uh, some of your influences musically as you were uh, growing up in the 2000s? Oh, or man. Before, or before? Huh. Uh, so I'll keep it to drummers. We're drummers. So I'll keep it to drummers. Um, four names that always I call them counterpoints. Those influences <laughs> are counterpoints. I'm getting to you, man. I'm just joking. I'm getting to you. you you're later. You said the early 2000s. This, <laughs> this, this is a long, long time. This we got we got some time. I was uh, pointing to myself with the people that that are listening. Oh, I'm just joking. He, he actually wrote that in the, on the. <laughs> hey, I'm going to answer these, ask you these questions. Yeah, I said I said who are your favorite drummer? Who are your favorite drummers other than me? Other than me, <laughs> um, I don't have that that ego. I'm I'm just joking, everybody. Yeah. No, Clayton's a great drummer, um, but we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll fluff his ego a little later in this podcast. Um, let me see. I'll start locally. Um, so there's um, James Davis. James Davis, I'll just give you a quick little blurb. James Davis was like the most prominent drummer in the Miami area at the time. He was my Dennis Chambers. He was the closest mm. thing to Dennis Chambers mm. that I, I saw, but he was also as lightning fast as his hands were. He was also the guy that I always saw. Like I saw the Quest Love kit before I saw I knew who Quest Love was because James Davis would come into a, a gospel church, a musical, kick snare and hat, and just lay it down. So um James Davis, Jody Hill, Jody Hill and James were kind of like they came up together, but you know, it's kind of like they were the guys in Miami. And um Jody uh, spent years playing behind Casey and the Sunshine Band. Uh, mm. uh, the things that I learned from Jody was not about uh, not taking yourself so serious. He has such a huge personality, and he allows that to come out when he plays. Um, he's also one of the first guys that won the, the drum off from Guitar Center way back in the day. So um, just kind of letting you know, that's before it got all watered down and all that stuff, but. You know, he was, I think, um, year two or year three of the drum off. He went all the way to nationals. Um, and then we have Jonathan Joseph. Jonathan Joseph was the guy and when I was an undergrad, the one that kicked my butt every single day. Um, if I did something right, um, he yelled at me to do it better. If I did something wrong, you know, he never yelled, but he just had a way of just making you feel like crap. Um, uh, so Jonathan and um, Jonathan also was the uh, person that introduced me to jazz music. Growing up in growing up in my home, it was a very sheltered house. I was only playing to gospel music. Um, the Winans, the Hawkins, Mahalia Jackson, and the Mighty Clouds of Joy. Those are the only things that were allowed to be played in the house, which is great music, but I had no idea of the other side. Um, when I got to uh, undergrad, Jonathan Joseph was the guy that introduced me to the Yellow Jackets. And that's when things just kind of, and at that time, 
Will Kennedy had left the Yellow Jackets and they were going, they were between drummers. So Jonathan Joseph was one of the drummers that they were using. So he was playing between uh, the Yellow Jackets and Pat Metheny. So this guy is, and he's currently playing with um, Jeff Beck. So he's, he's all world. And he's now one of the leading authorities when it comes to Afro, um, Afro drumming and independence. Um, he has books out sanctioned by um, DCI and he's just an amazing drummer. Um, uh, so that kind of takes me through my formative years. And then I have a lot of colleagues that I look up to like Calvin Rogers, who's gospel, one of gospel's best drummers. Um, there's not a gospel session in the past 15 years that he hasn't played on. And then Terry Baker. Terry Baker is the session king. Terry Baker is currently playing with Kurt Franklin. He's been doing that gig for I don't know how long. Um, but Terry was the reason why I got into um, live recording and understanding how to become a recording drummer versus a show drummer. Um, so those were my influences in the in 2000s. I can go through a list, but those were the counterpoints um, of not people that I just met, but people that actually took time to impart knowledge to me um, growing up. Um, but like there are millions of guys. I, I learned something from every every drummer out there, young or old. When did you start playing with artists like people Bryson and Anthony David and Avery Sunshine and Bobby Brown? Okay, so in chronological order, Anthony David, 2012, People Bryson, 2014, Avery, 2015, and Bobby in 2019. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you basically, did you play on any of these people's records or is it more of the touring? Uh, touring Anthony David, Anthony David and Avery, I've played on maybe their past respectively their past three or four albums um Peebo Peebo literally just released the record maybe two years ago um Bobby hasn't released new music and you know he doesn't have to like Peebo and Bobby never have to release another song and they will tour forever simply because <coughs> their legacy art excuse me so yeah. how'd you can how'd you connect with Peebo um uh there's a drummer here by the name of Jarrell Flynn who I've been doing that gig for quite a while. And um I th he had he had some conflicts or whatever, um schedule scheduling conflicts, and he called me up just like super random. Hey man, what are you doing in the next couple weeks? I was like, oh, I don't I don't have anything. And he was like, Well, I got this gig I want you to uh, do, and I'm gonna put you in contact with the music director. Music director calls me and says, yeah, you know, just go on YouTube. Um, we'll run the songs. I'm sending you the charts and we'll run the songs at Soundtrack. So I didn't get a rehearsal. And my first gig was a 120 minute show in the Grand Bahamas um, in front of maybe about 5,000 people with people Bryson. Never met anybody from the band until I touched down in the Bahamas. And uh, yeah, I literally had to play pretty much his entire catalog with no rehearsal. Trial by fire, man. Exactly. Was he? Was he? I guess he's pretty 
easy to work with. So uh, his uh, his reputation definitely precedes him as far as drummers. He's very critical on drummers, um, very hard on drummers. Um, I slipped through the cracks. Um, so uh, he's he's always been very complimentary of my playing. And um, we always have a good time when um, I get a chance to play with him. So, so what does he what does he look for that other people might have found to be very difficult or challenging? Um playing the songs playing the music uh allowing yourself to become what that music is and not making it something that it's not um i think a lot of times you'll find drummers or musicians in general that will try to put their spin on music and you're talking about mr disney nobody wants to hear my interpretation of what those drum fills should have been in a whole new world you know people want to hear the record like it's it's disney you know his songs are iconic um so you have to let ego die and you have to play those songs as they were meant to be played so um i take that into every every situation but particularly the people's situation um you know, just allowing the music to win out. And uh, yeah, that works. And not being afraid to hit the drums. Like he likes a drummer that can smack the drums. You know, my one of my favorite songs of his is I'm So Into You. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my song back in the day. I don't know if you guys do that. We do. We okay. do. The funny thing about that song, um, my favorite is probably Feel the Fire. But oh, that too. I'm so into you has a very specific drum pattern, and um, it, um, so usually we'll do I'm so into you, and we'll go in to feel the fire. Okay. And listen to the original recording. Um, you'll hear ring. There's a there's a gliss on the on the ride bell. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that gliss on the ride bell, the entire song is ruined. Really? It is. It is. A signature part of that song. I'm gonna listen to that again and yeah. So it's right in with the little bell thing at the top, you know. Yeah, like it's he's uh he's he's very he's very keen on what his music should sound like, and when that is not there, it pulls his focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get Um, not to mention he plays guitar. Okay. So he knows exactly what he's looking for. And when it, and when you give it to him, then he's satisfied, which is very important when it comes to the topic of this podcast, Broadway drumming or drumming in general. You know, I, I have talked to other drummers for this podcast and, you know, they basically say, you know, I'm not necessarily a Broadway drummer. I'm a drummer who plays musicals. And that's kind of how both have come to this as musicians who play all kinds of music. You come from a certain style and era and I come from a certain style and era, but we understand how to play musically and what people are looking for and and how to keep your ego out of it because people are looking for a musician to play music. And of course, you know, they put the music with with the choreography and lighting and and everything else, but you're there to play a part and just like people is looking for that gliss, some dancer 
might be, you know, the choreographer might be looking for a specific drum hit. And if that's not there, if you don't go plat do plat do in the right place, everything else can go wrong. So it's the same kind of concept, but a lot of people don't understand that. And I like to emphasize that, which brings me to the fact that you've done all this other kind of stuff in the past from marching band, show marching bands to core style marching bands to going on tours to playing with different people to playing to getting mentor getting mentored by jazz musicians and gospel musicians what makes you want to play broadway Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and you've been listening to my interview with Q Robinson, the drummer for the first national tour of Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations. In part two of our conversation, we're going to be discussing how his love for musical theater as an actor led him to become a drummer in many musical theater productions. We're also going to be talking about how he landed the gig as the drummer for the tour of Ain't Too Proud. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, give us a good rating and review. Stay tuned.